Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Slam and Jamma presented by Clerk City Control Room. My name is Andy Anes, and you can follow me on Twitter at Aonis underscore five. On this episode of PSJ, we have a special guest, Mikhail McLean, who spent over a decade with the University of Houston men's basketball program, uh, really split half and half as a player and uh, moving up the ranks as a coaching staff. We're really thrilled for this guest. Hit the intro. across midfield Jones just waiting for somebody Jones inside the 20 to the 10 and for the fifth time in his career will not be stopped here's Grimes in a pull-up three oh Grimes dead-eye shooter Blair to Patterson in the corner for three to midcourt that's Mark at the buzzer Uh, that intro never gets old. Like I said, we're joined by Mikhail McLean. I'm also joined by Akib Ghazi. Uh, Akib, I'll let you go first. Where can people find you, sir? Yeah, y'all can find me uh, on Twitter and on Instagram at Akib M. Ghazi. And Mikhail, you are our guest. I'll, I'll give you this time. Where can people find you? Uh, yeah, Mikhail McLean, Lamar University. Uh, social media, Instagram and Twitter, both K-H-A-I-L-M-C-L-E-A-N. Kael McLean. And Mikhail, like we mentioned off air, we're really grateful of your time here to, to just take uh, really uh, this early morning and be able to speak with us. Um, yeah. Obviously, like we mentioned, you spent uh, really over a decade with the University of Houston men's basketball team. And, and now this past season, you, you were able to transition a bit on your own, being an assistant coach at Lamar. Um, can you talk a little bit just We'll, we'll start there this past season. I, I know this is really the, the first year in a while where you haven't really been uh, in the midst of the Houston program, but you still got mm-hmm. to see them from a distance. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they made another run into the Elite Eight. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. of course, everyone knows the story. No, no Sasser, no Tremont Mark. And still to get that far, what were, what were your takeaways from watching them from afar, really, for the first time in a while? Uh, man, you know what? I'll, I'll start by saying you get a different level of appreciation as an alumni when you're not in the sideline going through those wars with them. Um, I would text, you know, the staff, Coach Sampson, Coach Kellen, Coach Hollis, Coach Qantas, all of those guys, some of the players, too, that I was close with um, almost after every game. And I'd be like, man, like you guys are making, you know, my university so proud. You know, when I was there in the, in the ranks with them, you know, I'm experiencing the battle, so I don't get to appreciate it as much. Um, but I just had such a level of appreciation for how they represented the University of Houston the entire year. Mikhail, what was more? Um, sorry, Andy. Yeah, what was, no, was, gonna... what was more? Yeah, what was more nerve wracking for you to watch them, you know, from afar from the sideline, or you know, for whenever you were actually on the court coaching and uh, when you were a player as well. Um, I think it's definitely more nerve wracking watching more as a fan um, because you have a different level of investment. Like obviously you're invested there when you're, when you're coaching and you're playing there. Um, but as a fan, like you're just hearing all the naysayers, you can go on social media and see what people are saying. Um, you kind of get to watch it and show excitement and emotion that you typically don't get to show on the sideline or, you know, as a player. So um, I think I got more nervous watching as a fan as I did uh, when I was actually there. <laughs> 
Uh, and and kind of to do a, a 180, but let's go back to when you first joined the program and uh, mm. we're going back to, to 2010 and mm. obviously a much, much different place to, to where it is now. Yeah. But just going back when, when you first decided to come to Houston, what what were kind of some of the factors that, that made you come to, to the Cougars way back then? Uh, it's funny uh, because my current head coach that I work for now, Alvin Brooks, was the one that recruited me to the University of Houston back in 2010 under uh, my previous head coach, James Dickey. Um, and at the time, um, kind of somewhat similar to what Coach Sampson had to do when he got there, um, they sold me on a vision of what they thought the university could be. Um, and, you know, we weren't fortunate enough to get there, but we kind of started building the steps to get there in terms of recruiting class. Um, you know, we weren't able to get the facilities and all of that stuff that Coach Sampson was able to acquire. Um, but, you know, they kind of sold me on a vision of, you know, eventually having a practice gym and what the city of Houston does in terms of support uh, when you win there. And, you know, um, my, I think my last year, my, my year before Coach Sampson got there was our first year in the American Athletic Conference. Um, at the time, Cincinnati won the conference. UConn won the national championship that year and Louisville won the championship the previous year along with SMU Memphis it was six top 25 teams. And we were able to win three top 25 games that year, um, the last year with Coach Dickey's, uh, Coach Dickey's team. So I felt as though we kind of, you know, we built a little bit of momentum and then we started over when Coach Sampson got there. I was fortunate enough to play with Coach Sampson his first year there. Um, and we had, you know, four guys have almost season-ending injuries, one of those being myself. I broke my foot three times that senior year. Um, and I didn't get to finish out the season, man, but it's just amazing just seeing the standard that Coach Sampson set from day one when we didn't have as many talented guys, when we didn't have the facilities, when we didn't have the support, um, you know, like he set the standard so high from day one and he didn't let anybody, you know, break what he was trying to set. So just kind of seeing just the way he laid the foundation that he built it the next year with Galen Robinson and Rob Gray. And then, you know, the Damian Dotsons of the world, just kind of, you know, get good players there and continue to get more support um, financially, academically, all of that good stuff. So, it's just really cool to kind of see where he's leveled the program to right now. Yeah, Michaela, uh, I was hey, I was there uh, in the stands uh, when y'all beat UConn. Um, yeah. it was it was pretty empty <laughs> back yeah. then, and I think it was yeah. like uh, in winter break or something like that. It was new. It was it was uh, it was New Year's Eve. New Year's yeah, Eve. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I remember I was there with my twin brother. We were watching in uh, in a very empty stadium. Yeah, um, but. You know, you, you still had a lot of talent even then when with Coach mm -hmm. Dickey, and uh, we're mm -hmm. not probably not going to discuss as long. But you have uh, you had guys like Joe Young in the previous season. You had Daniel mm -hmm. House, um, and then you had Tayshawn Thomas. Thomas. Mm -hmm. So those three guys were key guys on, you know, our part, and that was a part of the team. And then when they ended up, you know, leaving mm -hmm. the school, or what was your mm -hmm. thoughts about that? You know, would you um, what was going into the next season and than yeah. having Coach Sampson come in for your final year. Uh, well, you know, hindsight 2020, those were, you know, those are three of my my good friends. They were my teammates, you know, and obviously you could look at, okay, if they stayed here with Coach Sampson, um, with what he was building and his style of playing, all of that stuff, we probably had a chance at winning the conference potentially the next year with that same team. Um, but, you know, at the same time, all three of those guys that did leave, they had a lot of success where they went. You know, Tayshaun Thomas went to Oklahoma. Um, and they made it to, I think, maybe the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16. Joe Young went to Oregon. He was player of the year um, in his conference. He got drafted. Daniel House went to AM and they had that magical run um, in the NCAA tournament. He ended up going to the Warriors and the Suns and the Rockets, and now he's with the Utah Jazz. So hindsight 2020, obviously, it could have went a different way if they stayed there. We probably would have just as much success 
they might have made it where they made it now. Um, but at the end of the day, I think they made the decisions that was probably best for them and their family. I still support them to this day. Yeah, Mikhail, one of, one of the things you touched on was really one of the, the things that sold you onto committing to Houston was the vision yep. that, that they were, yeah. you know, kind of looking ahead. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, when you first joined, the Gavi Lewis development facility didn't exist. So oh. I'm curious, what, what was, it was it like? It was, a, it was a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious, what was it like whenever you guys had to go through seasons? Like, how what would practices look like? How would any of the, the extra stuff that honestly – you don't even think of when you turn when you look at now the the men's basketball team and the women's team they have a space of their own they have mm -hmm. the facilities to work out obviously of course they have the 24-hour access mm -hmm. that they want to go and shoot mm -hmm. uh, what was that like for you um it, you know it was nostalgic you know because i feel as though like as little as we had in terms of like you know the updated facilities in terms of hoffine's pavilion i felt like it was like some type of it was like a part of history like it was just so much historic um, the historic element of it was pretty cool. And like every year, whether it was a big game, whether it was a practice, whether it was just somebody coming in, one of those guys from the five slammer jam or one of those great coaches that were there, um, like would stop by. So my freshman year, um, I wish I could pull up the picture right now. Gabby Lewis came by, Joe Young. I mean, Michael Young, Hakeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, we all took a picture. And that was my freshman year. Like I thought that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, I didn't know what, an updated facility. I just was sold on the vision of what all that stuff looked like. So I wasn't really looking for that. Um, but we did, you know, that was our pitch to get recruits. Um, whenever recruits came on campus, I was also the student host that would kind of take those guys around. And it's funny because like, we never really showed them, like they saw the gym, but like, we never really like took them on an in-depth tour of Hoffines Pavilion. Like it was more kind of showing what the city of Houston provided. It was more showing um, the side of campus, you know, like campus was always nice, even before they kind of updated, did all these new dorms and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, it's just it was different. It was an experience, um, but it kind of, you know, I kind of have a different level of appreciation being a co-chair at Lamar because I understood I understand what it looks like before it becomes, you know, sexy, you know, and I understand mm -hmm. the process that it takes to get there. So it's not like I came from um, power. I mean, tier, tier one university, University of Houston coming to Lamar expecting X, Y, and Z. I'm kind of coming here with the expectation we're going to build to get to where we want to get to. Akib, do you have anything else? Um, yeah. Um, so uh, obviously, right now, it UH, you know, it is it is a quote unquote sexy like to be a fan of the program mm -hmm. and be a student and then be a mm -hmm. student athlete as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then you see how you saw how it was, you know, beforehand. So, right. like, what what do you, what is the pitch right now for um, for Lamar? Whenever you guys are with Lamar University, whenever you guys are bringing in students, like, what is that feeling like? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. So, I mean, it's it's I don't want to say it's a similar pitch um, to University of Houston. It's two completely different universities, two completely different um, approaches to how we do things. Uh, but it's similar in the approach of like we're saying, like I'm saying, we're selling them on a vision. We're selling them on you know, the amount of money we've earned so far in just eight months to get some of those stuff in our program added to it that wasn't there before, that had never been there before. Um, we're selling them on our style of play when we're healthy and when we have our guys out there um, and how exciting it can be and the support that um, Lamar gets from the city of Beaumont being that it's the only show in town. You know, like even when we went, we didn't have a great year. We had a lot of injuries and all that stuff, not making any excuses, but even when we didn't have a great year, 
we still had fans from everywhere still coming to support the game. So, you know, we're selling them on the vision of like when we get this thing rocking, what it's going to look like in the city, um, in a great arena, in a great town. And, you know, it's just we're more selling the dynamic of our family relationships. And I think that is something that we have somewhat similar to Houston that we're really family oriented. We're selling them on the fact like, hey, when you get here, you don't have to worry about your son going astray and doing anything crazy. You don't have to worry about him making bad decisions. You don't have to worry about him not finishing with his degree. Um, so all of those stuff are kind of like selling points along with the vision of what we're going to get to, you know, when we're conference champs, when we're dancing the NCAA tournament, you know, because we know what it looks like. We know what it takes to get there, but you just got to have the right people on the bus to do it. So that's kind of like our pitch right now. And a quick follow up to that, but also how important is it to, to build those relationship with, with the student athletes, parents as well, and then kind of include them in that vision? Yeah, no, it's it's man, it's extremely important, man. It's uh it's crazy because like I don't know, maybe maybe I'm I'm too far removed from high school basketball, but like you have to build a relationship with the parents now, you have to build a relationship with the trainers. Um, if the girlfriend is really close, you have to almost build a relationship to where she somewhat feels included as well, um, in, in the in the process, you know. So uh, recruiting's changed. Um, I'm going on my second year doing it. I really love it because um, I'm a really relationship oriented person. So um, the journey's been good, man. I'm just excited to kind of see where it goes. And on that note, we'll no, we're going to take a quick break, but um, we're kind of transitioning into already. But Mikel talks a little bit more of moving into the coaching ranks first at Houston, now at Lamar, coming right up on Pod Slam Ajama, covering your UH athletics. All right, and we're back here on Pod Slam Ajama, presented by Clutch City Control Room with the uh, Mikhail McLean, former UH basketball player, former UH assistant coach. Um, Mikhail, uh, I had a, just a quick question with, um, you know, you have uh, – you're the head coach right now um, for Lamar University. He's the one who – who's the, he's the one who recruited you to the University of Houston. I, I want to say mm -hmm. I think it was, what, 2010, and then uh, yeah. you were one of the first recruits, you know, yep. to be recruited by him. Uh, could you tell us with uh, – uh, what's what is that um, relationship like and how has it been from going from player to, you know, assistant coach and then now just being a direct assistant under coach? Um, that's, a, that's a that's a lot of questions in one. Let me uh, let me start <laughs> with my relationship with uh, Coach Brooks. So um, it's, it's, it's kind of cool because Coach Brooks and his staff, they just um, I think they just got let go at Kentucky. Um, and he was in a period of, you know, transition, transitioning to the next job. He's a guy from Houston and he kind of um, through a family friend, he kind of became a mentor to me without recruiting me or anything like that. He would just kind of mentor me. Um, and I kind of had a relationship before he even got the job. So as soon as he got the job, I was actually on a visit to Cleveland State. Um, Norris Cole, that played with the Miami Heat, he hosted me and Coach Brooks got the job. He said, hey, enjoy your visit. But I'm just like, I just got the job at the University of Houston. We could talk about it when you get back. And I'm on the visit. I'm like, man, I can't wait to get back because I'm gonna commit as soon as I get back. <laughs> so, uh, man, it's, it's it's cool, man. He's uh, he's been a mentor to me um, when I was a player. He's became a mentor to me when I became a coach. And um, I'm enjoying just you know just kind of working under him. I've seen him in every aspect. I've seen him as a assistant under Coach Dickey and assistant under Coach Sampson. Um, when he was not an assistant, just kind of seeing him in every different element. So I have a different level of appreciation uh, for the man and the mentor that he is. Um, Again, re remind me again, what was the second part of the question? I'm sorry. 
Oh, just going from, you know, player and then you know, now being a coach. Yeah. Assistant okay. coach. Okay. Now, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Um, you know, um, it's different. You know, I feel like it's different levels to coaching. Um, when I was at Houston, I started off as a graduate assistant and I was a graduate assistant the year after I got done playing. So I go from being the captain of the team, Coach Sampson's first year, to trying to tell the guys that were just my teammates, the guys I was just hanging out with that, hey, you need to go to class. Like, hey, why aren't you doing your work? Or, hey, you need to come to this work. Why are you late? And they're, like, looking at me like, bro, like, you were just late with me last year. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, like, it, it, it was a struggle. Um, and I will be sincere in saying that I didn't think I wanted to coach right away. Um, but that graduate assistant year, I built a relationship with Galen Robinson. He was a freshman at the time. Um, Coach Sampson just kind of had me start, start mentoring him. And through working with Galen, I found a passion for coaching because that kid is obsessed with basketball. He's obsessed with being very successful in every aspect of his life. And it's just kind of crazy to see where life has taken him so far in terms of basketball, um, building his brand, one substantial, I mean, substantial um, and just everything that he's done. So, you know, I was a GA, then I became the player developing coach where, you know, I'm doing a lot of different mentorship stuff, different academic stuff, a, a few things on the court, off the court, and just kind of learning how to be a coach. And now I've become an assistant coach where I'm kind of getting to sharpen everything that I've done and just add recruiting to it with a little bit more responsibility. So, you know, the transition was seamless. Um, I have a lot of good people that I work with at Houston to this day that still mentor me, that still talk to me all the time, along with Coach Brooks. So, man, it's, it's, it's been it's been a great transition. I'm just kind of excited to see where life takes me here in the next couple of years. And along those lines, you said initially you, you didn't necessarily see yourself, you know, getting into the coaching ranks. What Was mm -hmm. there something that, that kind of pushed you in that direction or what made what was one of the factors that pushed you in that way? Um, you know what, man, I was you know, I've never been a lazy person. Um, I've always been very hardworking um, basketball or not. And I was actually I started my master's coach Sampson's first year of that when I was a player. And I had like. I had like nine hours. So I did three in the summer. I did six and I basically finished it in the winter. And, you know, like I kind of was in the transition period where I was done with my master's. I was trying to figure out what I had next in my life. Um, I was dating my girlfriend. That's now my wife at the time. I knew I was going to propose to her by the time the year was done. And I kind of was in a period where I was like, okay, what is next for me? And um, I was coaching, I was doing it. My heart was in it, but I felt as though I wasn't fully invested into it. So like I kind of fully invested myself into coaching. Um, I think maybe by November of that year, going into the season, when the season started, um, mm -hmm. I started just investing a lot more time outside of what was necessary um, from my, you know, my position. I started spending a lot more time. I started kind of becoming a lot more of a student of the game, asking questions, uh, getting chewed up by Coach Sampson for asking too many questions sometimes, <laughs> you know, like all of that stuff. And, you know, I just kind of like just seeing how passionate, how energetic. Um, coach Sampson was at his age I was like golly man like this guy is a hall of fame coach like I would be a fool not to take advantage of this opportunity to work and learn under him and like I feel as though like once I kind of changed that approach and that mindset like I just kind of just kept on going kept on going kept on going and just I was fortunate enough to work under him long enough to guy to see us go to the final four and now see what he's doing with this team from the outside looking in if you didn't know what we do in that program you wouldn't understand how a team that lost two of their best scores can make it to the elite eight, you know? So you guys understand it because you guys follow it all year, you know, but, you know, from the outside looking in, some people don't understand, like, how the heck is he doing this thing, you know? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's culture. And uh, what could you outline what are the major differences you saw when you were under Coach Dickey as a player? And then when you saw, you know, Coach Sampson and now you have Coach Alvin Brooks, like, 
what's the main differences between some of those guys? I know it's a multi-part question, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if you could, you know, discuss that. Um, I, I'll start with similarities first. Um, I feel as though the thing that that never changes is um, your relationships with the players. Um, you can't you can't have a high demand level out of the players until you build a relationship with them. Um, and I think Coach Sampson's as good as anyone I've ever seen at that. Coach Brooks did a good job. Coach Dickey did a great job of that too. Um, I think that, you know, Coach Sampson is top tier when it comes to accountability. Um, he, uh, he holds everybody accountable from the players to the managers, to the athletic director sometime, to the, um, to the coaching staff, to every single person. Like if you have a job to do, he's going to demand that you do it, you know, in a respectful way, but he's going to demand that you do it. And when you know that you have that expectation to perform at what your role is every single day, you don't take a day off from doing that because you know that, okay, he might not say something to me today, but he might say something to me tomorrow. And you don't want to be the one guy that's not doing your job. So I feel as though that same thing goes on to the court where, you know, Jamal Shedd might have the responsibility that he should never let anyone score on him in transition, or he needs to make sure that every time he goes off a ball screen, he hits the big on a roll. Like, He's going to make sure that he's deleted that role and anything that goes with it is just going to elevate him, you know? So I feel as though that's one thing that, you know, the biggest thing I feel as though coach Sampson does different from any coach in the country. is just his demand level with his accountability uh, for sure. Right. And, and on that note, again, like, like you mentioned, you went straight from uh, being a freshman or not a freshman, being on your final year uh, on 2014, 15 as a, as a player. Um, and then, transitioning to to the coaching ranks and when you made that change obviously of course you talked a little bit about it but once your your uh, playing career ended did, did you kind of see the spark since I was the first year under Samson where okay this has the potential to to build up or was it kind of a more of a work in progress where it took a couple of years before that vision really started to come to fruition no um no man I and you're trying you're talking in terms of the vision for the program correct Correct. Yes. Yeah, man. You know, what's crazy. Um, and people laugh at me all the time when I say this, like that year was such a difficult year. Um, we lost. Um, we had a bunch of guys injured, including myself. We lost to some very we lost to some really bad schools early in non-conference. And then I think we might have went. Well, I think we might have started non-conference like we lost like the first like six or seven games. Um, but the one thing I don't know how he does it. And I want to learn this as a coach. The one thing that he did every day, like. Every single game that we went into, we had a confident, like 100% belief that we were going to win that game. Every single game that we played, even before we were good. Um, Some games we went, well, we would have to practice with seven guys, um, two of them being walk-ons. Wes Van Beck was a walk-on that started a couple games my my last year because of injuries and opportunities. Um, But he prepared every single day as if we were going to be conference champions before we had the talent to do it. And we went a stretch where we lost all of those games in non-conference. And this, my last two games was against Rice and against UConn. I had my career high against Rice. And then we played UConn the next, the next game. UConn had just won the national championship the previous year. And they had everybody back, but maybe like two or three guys. Um, and we played UConn and we beat UConn with, as you know, we hadn't won any conference games. And our first conference win is at home against the conference champions. And then we proceeded to maybe win another game. Then we went a stretch. We lost like four or five more games. But we finished the season winning four of our last five games, I think, to end the year. And, like, I feel as though, like, it was so important because, like, we never wavered. We stayed together as a team. And, like, although we weren't winning, the culture was being built and the standard was set so high 
even back then before we were as good as we were, that as soon as we kind of got better players, the guys that stayed on from that previous team was able to keep the standard there. And those guys just helped elevate it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I feel as though the process was set in stone really, really early. Um, and before, like he sold us on his vision early and we didn't really understand. We're like, bro, how are we going to do it? Like we lost like three guys that are potential NBA guys. Like, you know, we're hurt, all of this stuff. And he's like, we're going to do this, this and this. And surely enough, we did it, you know, and now just looking at it now, it's just everything he said he was going to do, he's done and he will continue to do more. So, Mikhail, is it safe to say at that time, you know, looking back, you know, when mm-hmm. you were a player the first year, mm-hmm. could mm-hmm. you have ever imagined the program being what it was, what it is right now currently? You know, you guys didn't have many like highly talented recruits because a lot of the recruits coming from JUCO, like mm-hmm. Rob Gray, uh, and then Galen Robinson when he mm-hmm. was recruited as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, you see guys like that, but then, then obviously now it's you had Quinn and Grimes and others coming in. Would you have, could you have ever imagined the program being you know what it is right now? No, I, I would I would be lying if I said I thought the program would be good. I didn't. I never thought as quickly as he elevated. I didn't think. I never thought that would happen as quickly as he did. Did I believe it could happen? Yes, but as a player at the time, I didn't think that would be something that. I mean, just seeing it now is is really dope, man. Like. U of H is like the sexy school to go to. Like everyone in Texas, like back in the day when I was, it was A&M and UT. And now people are like, man, I can't even get an application into the University of Houston. You know, just <laughs> hearing people say stuff like that, man. It's just, it's, it's me and my wife are really proud to be alumni uh, at the University of Houston. And on that note, our conversation with Mikhail McLean will continue. We'll touch a little bit more of his coach career at Houston and now had, that he has transitioned over to Lamar, coming right up on Pod Simon Jamma covering your UH Athletics. And we are back on Pod Slamajama covering your UH athletics. Mikel McLean, like you mentioned, when you first started into the the, the coaching side of things, you were internal mm-hmm. operations with the program. Uh, it didn't take long uh, for you to move up and, and get the official title of, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe it was uh, direct, it, was it, uh, it was, it was associated assistant, with assistant, development. Assistant, yeah, assistant director of player development. Right. And, and, so it, from the research I did, it took you about a year before you officially got that title from internal operations to, to the assistant director of development. Um, can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what, what kind of the difference is in terms of responsibilities uh, as internal operations and now with, with an official title, more or less? Um, yeah, it was, um, you know, the internal operations slash, you know, they call it a grad assistant back in the day. Um, you're kind of. Well, you know, it's a very humbling position. Um, you're basically a glorified student manager. Um, you take the title off of it. You're just a little bit higher up of a student manager. Uh, I would never forget um, our first, my first year at, in that internal operations job, uh, we traveled to China. Um, and this was my second, this was my second month on the job. Um, as soon as I got done playing, it wasn't a thing like I got done playing. I had like two months to kind of like hang out enjoy being a retired athlete like no like i got done playing and samson wanted me in the office like right away so um <laughs> we went to china that year and i had never <laughs> i had never done laundry before for anyone outside of myself not not my girlfriend at the time that's my wife nobody other than myself we get to china and it was a very eye-opening experience great city um great experience but you know we got done with the first game 
and we don't have any managers on the trip outside of one. And that one manager is my roommate, but the manager had to do something for coach Samson. So I had to do the laundry. Like I had to find like, so I'm walking around the city of Hafai um, and I'm trying to find a laundromat. I'm trying to find something, dude. I'm walking block to block, worried about getting mugged and robbed. Um, and I finally find this little laundromat. Like I'm at this laundromat, like washing guys that I just was yelling at as teammates last year. And I'm washing their laundry. I'm like, is this what I really want to do? <laughs> and of course, obviously I'm humble. I was, you know, I, I, I didn't, I don't want to say I enjoyed doing it, but I had no problem doing it. Um, but, you know, in that position, it's more of a glorified manager per se. And then, you know, the following year, I had a lot more responsibility, um, had more of a defined role of what Coach Sampson wanted for me as, a, as an internal op. I kind of got to float around, do a little bit of everything. Um, but I had a great appreciation in those years because I got to shadow uh, Casey Beard, um, that was the video coordinator at the time, Hollis Price. And I kind of worked directly under both of those guys. Um, I kind of got to learn the video side of it from Casey. I got to kind of got to learn like the mentorship, the on-court and off-court development from Hollis. And I kind of got to match both of those together. Um, and to this day, both of those relationships and what I learned from those guys have helped, you know, kind of level me out of my career and just kind of put me a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of some of those things that I needed as a coach. So it's, it was cool. So what is it like now, you know, being an assistant coach and not uh, like a glorified uh, yeah, manager? manager. <laughs> it is a uh, man. You're you're on the phone all day long. And I, when I say on the phone, I don't mean like on Twitter or Instagram. Like it's like you're almost like a car salesman. Like you're you're calling people all day long. You're, you're watering your roots. Um, you're talking to parents. You're talking to AU coaches. You're talking to people that can't do anything for you. But you just got to, you know. You got to build. You got to build those relationships. You got to. You got to. You know, establish those relationships because you never know which one of those people can help you with a recruit. Um, and then obviously you need to. You know, I get to go on the road. You get to evaluate kids. You get to kind of get to talk to kids in person um, because you know back in the in the uh, in the COVID era when the pandemic was at its highest, like you know it's all communication via Twitter and all that stuff. But you know, in that role that I was in, I wasn't able to actively recruit kids. I wasn't able to do any of that stuff. And now from you know seeing those kids that came to camp at houston team camp that came to games now i can kind of talk to those kids like hey we connected when i was at the university of houston i would love to build a relationship and some of them are like you know what i want to go to houston even though they're not good enough for houston you know they always mm -hmm. want to shoot high and then some of the kids are appreciative like man i really appreciate you always really nice parents like you always really nice to me and just off of those relationships alone i was kind of able to kind of get started in my recruiting process early um, from what I've, the people I've met when I was at Houston. So I'm thankful for that. Was there a certain assistant, whether it was Alvin Brooks or, or anyone else that, that kind of helped really teach you to, to, you know, build those relationships or where did you, uh, where did you kind of first uh, learn to establish those type of connections with, with different people? Like you said, some might not even be you know, direct yeah. links to, to recruiting. Mm -hmm. No, man, you know, the person that does an elite job of it in terms of just relationships, because he's not allowed to recruit, is Bilal Batley. And when I got the job at Lamar, I'll mm -hmm. never forget, we're in the bubble in Indy. And I got the job, Coach Brooks got the job Wednesday. He offered me the job Wednesday night. And then I talked to, you know, I let the staff know, Bilal wrote up this thing called an activation plan. I have it somewhere in my office. And he gave me a step-by-step -step process of what I need to do to connect with people so I can stay organized with phone calls and do all of that stuff. And to this day, I still wow. follow that activation plan. Um, and then, you know, I kind of worked under Kellen, Coach Qantas and Coach Brooks all together. Um, so I kind of got to learn, you know, from Qantas, I kind of got to learn how he, 
he uses his relationship being a former player, Coach Sampson, to use that to connect with kids. I learned from, you know, Coach Brooks how important it is to build a relationship with the parents and all of that other stuff. And I learned from Coach Kelly just the energy and the dynamic with social media, um, kind of staying involved with kids on social media, staying involved with kids, just how do you just kind of keep them excited about your program even before you mm -hmm. win. Um, so I just kind of got to, you know, I was fortunate enough to work under a really, really good staff to where I could kind of steal a little bit of something from everybody and just kind of add it to my game. Yeah, and uh, speaking to relationships, you know, Coach Stops, you you had highlighted that he does a really good job um, building those relationships and then, you know, moving a little forward. How does How is he able to – what is his recruiting style? And um, he's he has said uh, multiple times that he recruits a certain type of, you know, player like guys that have a dog in them um and some sometimes he even says he's not looking for that that top recruit although they did get a top 10 recruit in a uh, jairus walker so could you speak a little bit on you know who, who what does he look for what is the style that coach sampson presents when recruiting guys yeah um when in terms of recruiting like you know some people recruit and some people evaluate um and you know like he recruits first obviously they look at kids that are talented and all that stuff they may put the offer on the table but um you know that offer really doesn't mean anything because after the evaluations is when he kind of him and the staff determine whether a kid is tough enough to play for him it's it's our job as assistant coaches to before we even bring a kid to the table like, is this a kid that will be able to play under Coach Sampson with his demand level and the toughness factor and all of that stuff? Um, and then once all of those boxes are checked, then um, he is a uh, he's a very aggressive recruiter. Um, if it's a kid that he wants, he's going to either go he's going to go all in. And he's going to try and get the kid. And then if the kid decides he wants to do something different, he's just going to go in another direction. Like he's not going to play. He'll play the long game, per se, but he's not going to play the long game where he's going back and forth for 10 months trying to figure like once he goes in on the recruit. Um, the recruit's either going to come there or he's not. And he's at a very high success rate of getting the kids to come there. So he goes after a special type of talent. And to speak on the kid, I'm not allowed to say names, um, you know, tampering and all of that stuff. But to speak on the kid that you guys brought in, um, he is a kid that fits that factor in terms of, you know, that dog mentality, that toughness, that rebounding. You know, like he was elite at all that. And he just happened to be a five-star guy. So it was a fit, you know, so. You know, as Houston continues to win at a high level, it's, become, it's going to continue to become more attractive to higher level recruits. But the same thing when he was at Indiana, the same thing when he was at Oklahoma, he's only going to recruit guys that fit his style of play, regardless of levels. Mm -hmm. And and kind of taking a step back real quick, obviously, of course, uh, as a member of the coaching staff, 2018, 2019, um, well, in 2018, the team finally breaks the, the NCAA tournament drought. You guys finally... Mm -hmm make it to the tournament you win the first round game and obviously of mm -hmm. course the, the heartbreaker in the second round against michigan um yeah. uh, hopefully i didn't bring up too many bad memories uh, yeah. uh just listing it off but then again the following year you follow it up with a trip to the sweet 16 and really right. you guys gave kentucky all they could handle and and we're right there with them at the very end mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. again it going back to kind of milestones those were two big boxes that you guys checked off but when you think back of those two years was there whether it be a relationship with a player or anything that really sticks with you about those teams to this day um, you know, personally, like I said, um, early on as a freshman, I kind of, you know, Coach Sampson had me mentor Galen um, and just kind of like those relationships with just specifically Galen Robinson and Fabian White in those early years were really important because those were kind of guys that I spent the most time with. Um, and just, you know, it's so many, it's difficult, it's difficult being a Houston Cougar um, that, like I said, the demand level is so high. Um, there's such a pressure to succeed and win at all costs. Um, 
and it's a young 18, 19 year old guy, like sometimes it's just hard. Like there's tough days where, you know, you might not want to talk to a coach or you might not want to hear what Coach Sampson is talking about. You might have something off the court going on, but you're still expected mm -hmm. to produce, and you know, do the stuff. So just kind of building those relationships with those guys, kind of seeing some of the dark places that both of those kids got to and just seeing, you know, that year, the first year, just seeing the level that Rob was able to help elevate our team to the level that Armani Brooks, the superstar that Armani Brooks was starting to become, even though he came off of the bench, seeing Corey Davis, that was a guy that we thought was good. We had no idea he would be as good as he was as early as he was, along with Devin Davis, Breon Brady, all of those kids, like kind of just seeing the, the point that I remember where we kind of, we kind of like, we hit the switch was when we played Wichita State. I think it was January 18th at TSU. And that game, it was it was more Wichita State fans than Houston fans because Wichita State wow. just travels really, really well. Um, and I remember that game, like it was a different level of focus and electricity in that building that I hadn't seen from our team. Um, and, you know, we ended up winning that game. I think they were top 10 in the country. Landry Shaman that now plays with the Phoenix Suns was on the team. A lot of other good kids that plays for the Lakers was on that team. Um, and I felt as though that game is where Houston kind of like turned the page. and was like, okay, we're here and we're not just showing up. Like we're not like we're here. We're at this party now. Um, but just kind of seeing those moments, like different moments in the year, whether it's a smaller game or a bigger game where you look at your team, like the next year we played South Florida at South Florida and it was a neck and neck game, the entire game. And Galen Robinson made a play where the ball was shot. He went from one corner and he sprinted to the other side of the floor and he dove out of bounds. He got a loose ball and he threw it off the kid's leg. And then we ended up winning that game. But if we didn't win that game, we might not have been a lock to be as high of a seed as we were in the tournament. We might not have been able to get, um, I think we played uh, the first, we played Georgia State, I think the first round. Might not have gotten that seed to play another seed the next, you know, so it's just crazy just kind of seeing different pivotal moments in a season that kind of help with the success of the year. And to rewind just a little bit, that the season when y'all had, a, in Damian Dotson's final year, um, mm -hmm. you guys did not make the tournament. Mm -hmm. um, I think solely, I feel like it was just based based off of that one, the one loss that y'all had um, in, South the, Florida. in the conference, in, yeah, in the tournament, in the conference. Oh, tournament. no, yeah, 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 you're talking about the You feel like it was because of, you feel like it was because of that, or did you already guys feel like it was going to be tough to make it into the NCAA tournament that year? This no, was man. Year, yeah. Yeah, I remember. No, it uh, actually, no, I don't think it was the conference tournament. I think the conference tournament might have helped us, but we lost a game mm -hmm. to, we lost to UConn at home. It wasn't a bad loss. It was a loss, a win that we needed at home. We lost to South Florida at home that year. Um, and both of those losses in conference play, I felt as though kind of really hurt our chances um, of making the tournament. And I think if we had won three games in the conference tournament and maybe lost in the championship, we would have had a chance. But we just put too much pressure on ourselves at the end of the year to be successful in order to make it. Um, and I think that's kind of more so the reason. Yeah, and, and kind of to, to put the finishing touches up on, on our conversation, but obviously, of course, 2021, uh, that's that's kind of the big point where you guys finally make it to the Final Four after, you know, over two decades, since 1984, The you know, going back to the five slam and jamma teams with, obviously, of course, you, you know them, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, and, and some of the other Houston legends, uh, can you talk a little bit about what it was like? And then uh, of all years in the middle of the COVID year where the, the tournament was in a, a, a bubble per se in Indiana, mm -hmm. um, 
what what was that whole experience like? And and once you guys eventually did beat Oregon State in that Elite Eight game, knowing you guys were going to go to the Final Four, what did you ever have a time where you reflected like, whoa, I've, I've been here for I guess at the point it was you know past ten years Nine already, years. and going on ten years, yeah, yeah, and and now you know Houston is at this point. Yeah, um, man, it's you know it's crazy, man, because you know we had so many special moments that year. Um, and we also had moments of concern that year. You know, we started that year with, you know, a few players that ended up, one of them ended up transferring, not saying names, mm -hmm. um, you know. And at the time, it seemed as though, like, it's no way we're going to get to the level that we thought we would get to um, that we finished the year with. But it's just so crazy. It even happened this year with the Cougars this year. Like, you lose one person and then somebody steps up that you never expected would step up to the level that they did. Um, and it was just so many different moments like Fabian White coming back from his ACL injury earlier than anyone ever expected. Um, Quentin Grimes arising to the star that we all knew that he could be, but doing it at a level consistently that he did. Um, Justin Gorham, that a kid that we thought would be good, but he ended up being one of the best rebounders and players at his position in the country. Like so many different people got Dejan Jero, obviously. I mean, he, you, we know Dejan was a superstar, but like so many different players got to a level that we all thought they can get to, but they did it consistently and they did it at the right point in the year. You know, some people peak early. Mm -hmm. I felt as though everybody peaked at the right point in the year and we took that momentum into the tournament, man. And the tournament was unique because I felt as though I, I didn't think it was about who the best team was in that tournament. I felt as though it was about who the most connected team was because you don't have the advantage of having that, I don't want to say home court, but like having that advantage with fans. You don't have the advantage of, you know, all the extra stuff that kind of help propel a team to a win. And you're in a hotel. Everyone's in their own room. The only time we're allowed to be together is for a practice or for a meeting. And the meetings weren't allowed to be longer than 30 minutes because of COVID restrictions. So I felt as though it was about the team that was the most teams that were the most connected that had the most success. And we just happened to be really connected. Coach Samson did a good job. We did a lot of good team activities there that kept us together. Uh, but, you know, our guys really enjoyed playing and being with one another and being away from our families for three, four, almost four weeks. It was 29 days being away from your family and your friends for that long. Like you got to have a good support system in house. And we had a really good support system in house and everyone just kind of did their jobs. Mm -hmm. I could, do you have any uh, final questions? Yeah, just one thing, and I, um, you know, I've, whenever we did ask, we, we spoke to Galen um, during the NCAA tournament. We got mm -hmm. his thoughts, and uh, we asked him, you know, what, what was the secret sauce, you know, behind Coach Kelvin Sampson <laughs> and the program, but he didn't really have anything to say. He just, you know, it's culture, obviously, but yeah. is there something, is there something just completely different that Coach Kelvin Sampson does, you know, whether it's day-to-day -day or just him being himself, like what is it that drives this program forward? Um, man, it's, it's very black and white, man. He's just, he's an everyday guy and he forces everyone that's around him to be everyday guys. Um, and, you know, if you're an everyday guy at whatever you feel as though is important, like you're going to be successful in that, you know, that area. And his everyday is culture. Like his culture is every single day. And that trickles down to the demand level, the accountability, the expectation level for what you need to do, like everything. I just feel as though his everyday guy mentality is what kind of propels him, you know, to be propels his program to be what they are. So it's not, it's not really a secret. You know, he talks about it all the time. It's just culture. 
And one final question I want to leave with you. Obviously, of course, now you, you've slowly seen the, the rise in the ranks. Could you see yourself one day being being a head coach of a, a program somewhere out there? Oh, uh, no. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely it's not a matter of if it's a matter of, you know, when um, that's definitely, you know, my vision board is something I want to do um, actively pursuing it, but just trying to, you know, just improve every day. Um, and, you know, you never know, man. I, one day I might be back at Houston in some capacity. Who knows? Um, mm -hmm. uh, we'll just kind of wait and see on that, man. But I'm just uh, just excited to take it day to day, day by day. We call that a perfect teaser, Mikael. Once again, thank you for, for taking the time uh, this morning and being able to speak with us. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, once again, uh, the, obviously an assistant coach for Lamar. Uh, Mikael, if there's anything else you'd like to say, whether it be about you or, or where people can find you, feel free to plug, man. Uh, no, man, just uh, thank you guys for putting me on this platform. Man. I really appreciate you guys. You guys keep up the great work. Um, just, you know, just being, like I said, being an alumni and just following from a distance, just kind of following you guys keeps me informed with everything, the little ins and outs of it, man. So I appreciate you guys um, and go Cougs, babe. Perfect. On that note, we're going to be closing it out. Another episode of Pod Slam Jam covering your UH Athletics.